0: Continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 87, Continuously Improving Your Knowledge Management with Dr. Cindy Young. Every time we use our lean practices to define and solve a problem, we create knowledge. How can we improve our organizational recognition and management of all that newly created knowledge, which is key to not having the same problem occur again? It turns out that knowledge management itself requires a process and continuous improvement, and Dr. Cindy Young is here to share her insights. Welcome to the Edges of Lean.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, finally, after all of our technology problems, so.
0: <laughs> we did have a couple of technology problems getting started, but we're, we're good to go now. Yeah. So, Cindy, tell us, tell us about Cindy. Uh, you've had a very interesting career, so let us know what it is that you've done and what you're doing now. Well,
1: I started off, um, you know, the standard stuff you do when you're a teenager, and then I joined the military. Um, so I was in the Navy for 23 years. I was enlisted first for eight and a half years. I became a surface officer. And a surface sort warfare officer takes care of people on ships. And I eventually ended my career after 23 years, my last ship I had probably about a hundred people on me. It's not a lot, but considering everything they do on the ship, it's it's a lot. All the weapon systems and everything we do to, yeah, I was responsible for the Aegis weapon system, for all the guns and all the people that supported me to make sure that we could get back home safely and accomplish all of our missions. And then I got to shore duty, and I eventually retired out of Virginia Beach. So then I've become a contractor. I've gone through a few different positions at I'm at my second company, and right now I lead training and curriculum development for the Tomahawk Land Tech missile, for the weapon system that launches that missile, and for the planning that goes behind it. So it's it's a it's a good it's a good area to be in. Yeah, you know, it's not going anywhere.
0: And uh, it's a it's a very technical area, right? But, but you're um, also yes. leading yeah. people, you and you're working with people,
1: right? I have a very very smart and experienced team, so they, they okay. do all they do all the hard work. I just I'm just basically a project manager now, so you know it's easy. <laughs> they make it easy.
0: <laughs> that that sounds good. You're here today to talk about knowledge management, so let's mm-hmm. start out with that by just a definition of knowledge management, because it's a term that's been around um, for a while, for you know, for right. a couple of decades, but I think there's a lot of different definitions. So how do you define it?
1: Yes, well, that, there were over a hundred definitions and there's some documents out there that show people that they had one, one group that actually studied the definitions. And my definition, I did because the easiest one I could think of and so I create it and I call it, you know, knowledge management is knowing what to do with the information you have. So when you have the information, you know, either to share it, to transfer it, uh, to document it, to put it somewhere where people can find it, you know, where the company is going to store it. But yeah, basically what you do with the information you have.
0: And it's a very important field and an important thing to think about because we're all creating knowledge we're all creating information all the time right Mm -hmm. excuse my dog (laughs) that's okay (laughs) and this that may be the first time she's actually barked on the podcast for those of you who are regular listeners that's that's uh that's a first all right so um i hope uh so we're all creating knowledge all the time we're learning as we go and particularly when we're practicing lean it's all about you know learning things yes it's about it's about solving problems when we solve a problem we learn something about the problem we've learned something about how we solved it we've learned something about the solution and um a lot of times i know that just you know figuring out what to do with that information afterwards is where people get stuck like right at the point where the knowledge is created, so yes. what are what are you um, what are you recommending for that?
1: Well, there's a lot of things. You know, first, you know, document it like like any process improvement. You, you know, when you figure out what works, document it, write it down. But you have to update it. You have to let people know that it's there. Um, you know, when you outbrief people, have people involved. Don't just outbrief the top top people. The C-suite or, or you know your boss, make sure people are there that that participate in it. Um, also, write up best practices because best practices, you know, they share what well, didn't go right because not everything goes perfectly. And so then you can work with that. You you assign you assign certain aspects to it whether you tag it, you meta tag it so that it comes up in your your documentation on your shared drive. Or if you are old fashioned, use a paper file system, have it, you know, think of Dewey Decimal systems back when we were kids. You know, we could find anything with those numbers, but nowadays, you know, it's it's all electronic. So it's easier to find. So you may have keywords you look for. But you know, you do have to start with documenting it and recognizing that sometimes not everybody documents everything, you know, explicitly. So you have to have that tacit knowledge or that experiential know-how and you have to actually talk to people. So I always recommend talking to people and getting people to come talk to you before you start a new project because they may have done something very similar to it, or they may have done the same thing just years before you did. And yeah, you know, that's so
0: it's worked. That, that tacit knowledge. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you know, I think that you know, for those of us who are in lean, you know, continuous improvement, and you know have worked in the air procedural documentation. yeah, you know you're going to write down, as you said, if something works you're going to write down it, it in some way you can document it, hopefully put it somewhere where it's findable, perhaps even tell people that they should yes. look at it before they before they start doing the, a similar uh, process. But the tacit knowledge is to me that's always been something that is really hard to manage. Because it's so situational. Um, So I like what you said about, well, you know, talk to people, but people aren't always available to talk to. So then then what do we, what do we do? Maybe somebody's moved on. Maybe, you know, maybe they don't want to talk to you, you know, how do we handle that?
1: And, you know, I, you know, I've had, I've had people that, in fact, I have, I have somebody I work with that doesn't like to share what he knows. And he's very very much does his own thing. And so my plan is, cause we're getting ready to hire somebody else for, you know, for the company I work for. And my plan is to make him the mentor, you know, make him, you know, so he can grow and show somebody else what he knows. But also it gives him the capability to learn how to pass that task knowledge on to somebody else. Because when when he, cause he he works software and system administration. So when he's working it, he's getting guidance on paper from somebody else about how to do installation of something. And he doesn't explain it to anybody. So he's been doing this for so long that Mm. he just insists on doing himself. He comes to work early when nobody else is there and does the work. And so my plan is to pair him up with somebody when we hire that new person and have a mentor, because I think he's a great mentor. He just doesn't get the opportunities because everybody else is experienced. And, you know, so you want to think about that. It's kind of like, when I was in the military, we did these things called pass downs. And every time somebody would take the watch, we'd have to arrive a half hour early and we'd have to go over all all things that happened during the watch. And so we got, we had some things we wrote down and then some things we actually spoke about. We had to talk about certain things every time. So if you think about when, say in a manufacturing plant, when you have different shifts come on and they have to tell you how many, how many widgets they made or what they did or what problems they had, that's passing tacit knowledge there. And eventually that becomes new tacit knowledge or creating new knowledge because they fix things or things have happened when they had to stop a line or something like that. And that way, that way that knowledge gets not only passed, but it becomes eventually becomes explicit. But at that point it's just experiential and you can do storytelling or you have a standard way of just doing business. And if you, if you think about project management, you know, you have your stand-ups. And I know stand-ups are not strictly for project management, but they talk about all the time as if they are. So let's go, you know, just with stand-ups, you know, stand-up means people don't sit there and pull out all these documents. They just talk, you know, so you know, that that that's some ways you can do, you can pass, half knowledge or even create it.
0: Wow. So. What you're saying is and it sounds so simple, Cindy, but it's but it's it's so big. What you're saying is talk to people. Yes. Right? And but also have a a time and a place when that is supposed to happen, right? It's it's yeah. making the space for it to happen, and you know, and I know they do this in in hospitals where, where nurses will will take a report before mm-hmm. they start their shift in just just hand on you know what what happened you know over the last shift what problems occurred. But the thing that occurred to me as as you were talking about it is like what a fabulous opportunity then to really identify problems, which again in Lean is what we want to do. We want to see mm-hmm. the problems. So if if you're talking to someone who Taking over for someone who has completed a shift, or you know, was was working yesterday when you weren't working, and they say this thing happened, and you go, "Well, that's interesting." You know, that thing happened. Mm-hmm. If it happens again, now you have you have that opportunity to start recognizing the problem, and you know, and, and putting it out there as, as a problem that needs to be addressed yeah. as, instead of just it, being, "Well, it was a one-time thing that happened, and we don't have to worry about it anymore."
1: Yeah, and we know when people storytell that they they generally remember the storytelling more than they remember the document they read. Uh-huh. You know, oh, storytelling yeah. is a lot more interesting and it can can bring people together too. So th- that builds on knowledge sharing. And so, you know, they, when they come to you and say, hey, I got something to tell you, it's not just gossip or whatever they're telling you. They may tell uh-huh. you that, hey, I figured this out. This is what we're gonna do. Or this is what we can do, or this saved us money. Or, you know, hey, I found out talking to this person in the break area, this person did this at their last job and this is what they did. So there's there's a lot of opportunities to pass that. You but you do have to talk people. And when I I work, you know, I have an office, it's all the way, you know, we're all in the same room. And I call it mm-hmm. an office, but the walls don't go all the way up to the top and the doors don't shut. It's such an old building. But you know, I sit at the all the way at the end and my my entire team is there down in the lab working or they're in their areas, all the way down the other end of the building. And so I get up and I go talk to them. You know, I check my emails in the morning, I get there early, I check my emails. And when they come in, I I go talk to them and see how they're doing and check on things. And it's a lot easier than than sending emails because you get to hear things, you can ask follow-up questions. You don't have a million emails you gotta track either. So yeah.
0: And you could also listen for, well, how does this really sound when the person yes. is telling the story? Are they, were they, are they really worried? You know, is it, you know, what's the, yeah, there's probably some, some, uh, not even sort of tacit knowledge, but just some, you know, some subtext that you could also pick up on yes. when you, when you do that. You know, when a lot of people are working remote or um, working in a, in a distributed environment and, and my last job in in a corporate corporation, I was working with people who were literally, you know, the, the 12 hour time zone difference. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that 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 happens in that kind of environment is you you get this sort of back to back to back to back meetings that happen, usually yeah. over Zoom or Skype or something like that. And it feels like there's no time. <laughs> those types of conversations. Your people talk about, you know, we, do, we don't have the water cooler anymore. What's your advice for people who are who are too, living that that work lifestyle? Well,
1: you know, again, when I was in the military, we had this thing called a battle rhythm. And the battle rhythm is a way of setting up meetings so you have time to make decisions before the next meeting comes. But you also have to purposely put breaks in there because you can't you can't expect everybody to be able to think if they're all they're thinking about is I have to go to the bathroom, or I have to eat something, you know, mm-hmm. That's simple, but also you got to have time for them to take action on what they're, what they have going on. You know, if, if they've been tasked with something in one meeting, how are they going to take action on it? If you don't give them a break, you know, there, there is, you know, you got to look at the time zones, time zones aren't going anywhere. Uh, we work with some people in the, in the UK and Right now there's six hour time difference or five, hour, I forget, <laughs> but there's it's a big chunk of time. I get emails yeah. from them. When I come in the morning and if I don't email them right away, they're gone and I don't get anything until next day. And so, you know, it makes Friday a, a non, a non doable day. So, you know, what we do is we just do our best to work, you know, work where we can take, take changes, but we also do a lot of stuff via email so that we're not constantly in meetings. I have my most meetings on Mondays, which I think is a horrible day to have meetings because you never know what comes up over the weekend. And so my meetings on Monday, they start at, at nine o'clock and they go to like three and it just drives me crazy. I don't get anything done except for emails. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the rest of the week, it as it go, our, our company, thank goodness our company has a rule, you no know, meetings on Fridays. And so, only if our customer sets a meeting, do we have to go. But you know, my customers mainly up in um up in Northern Virginia, so I don't have to go anywhere, you know. But it all works.
0: <laughs> so, but what you what what you're saying though, and I'm I'm thinking about this concept of lead to stand of work that it really is 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 an opportunity in creating. The standard work for the leader that the leader is setting that rhythm for the rest of the organization, so that they have time for, yeah. um, you know, as you said, time time to take action, but also time to deal with um, with managing their knowledge. Yeah, you know, time to write things down, time to tell someone else a story, time to mentor somebody.
1: Yes, because if you yeah. if
0: you're not allowing, if you're not creating that rhythm for people and allowing for that time. Then, in my experience, knowledge management is one of the first things that goes out the window. You know, yes, people will write down a procedure if, because that's what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. but the tacit knowledge just gets completely lost. Yeah.
1: And, and when people do decide to share share that type of knowledge on a phone call or on a Zoom call or Teams call, it makes the meeting go extremely long and makes people yeah. stop listening. It's miserable.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the field of knowledge management, when I first heard of it, you know, I think you and I talked about this before. Um, this it, it was a couple of decades ago. And I remember being very excited about it because of um, just the idea that we were finally going to take, take care of what we were learning. And what I kind of see happen is there's like a the whole section of the business world that still is not paying attention to it. And then the other people are taking it in the direction of data science and um, artificial intelligence. And what you're talking about, Cindy, which is the, the tacit knowledge, the people-to-people knowledge, I don't hear as much about that. So I was, I was wondering if you could just speak on where you see the... The, the field of knowledge management right now?
1: Well, I think I think that technology, the people are very excited about this chat GCP, or mm-hmm. GC- GCC, GCP. C- GPT. That's chat it. GPT. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I can see it in my head, just can't quite come out the right way. Um, but yeah, I see people very excited about that. Um, you know, machine learnings, you know, people talk about AI, RPA, and ML together, robot pro- robotic process automation machine right. learning and artificial intelligence, but you know, they, and they know how expensive it is. And so I see that task knowledge gets left behind because they're like, oh, that, that time it takes to people talk, that eats up a lot of time. Those are those are dollars that we can't get back, but we can save all the money with, with using technology. And I think technology is great. I wouldn't be here without technology, but mm-hmm. I really believe in people. People are the ones that make the decisions with the technology. People are the ones that determine what the what they want their technology to do. They they decide what technology they want to have and you know what you know what the purpose of it is. And so I think the return on investment is very much, you know, strong in human-centric knowledge management. But when people look at manpower and hours and just they they try to they try to make it into dollars. And what they don't realize is that if you don't have the human-centric now, human-centric knowledge management—you're going to lose people because people are not going to feel trusted. They're not going to feel trusted because you're not talking to them and you're keeping them like that mushroom in the dark. And you know, you got—you got to take care of your people. Machines are going to be there for—you know—they're not going to go anywhere. But people, people can—I can quit today and go somewhere else,
0: right? You know, right. and
1: and I think that you need to look at that as all your people. You—you got. You hired a person because they know something, not because they can hit a button. I mean, maybe right. because they understand how you hit that button, but they also understand a lot of the a lot of stuff that comes before that.
0: Yeah, I, they, they know something and they can continue to learn things mm-hmm. in all sorts of different interesting ways, right? So, yeah. um, you know, you, you're hiring a whole person. You're not just hiring someone who can type on a keyboard or, or read code or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is.
1: Yeah, if you think out think out how the stores are going, like my my nieces work at Walmart and I absolutely hate Walmart. And I'm sorry, Walmart, that's how I feel. Um, but you know, the only reason I, I really detest it is because when you go through the, the lines, they have they rely so much on those automatic tellers mm-hmm. or, or the automatic checkouts where you have to do your checkout. You know, you still got a person doing it and you're not you're not saving any money by doing that other than people that you're not paying to demand things. The problem comes really when the person who's checking out has a problem or they have a wrong price. You know, they don't have a person to talk to and there's not enough people there to take care of all those people who are spending their money. And so that's where I see people are getting more reliant on the technology and not thinking about the people in the process. You know, if you think about rework, how many times are you gonna to have to have somebody? Okay, I'm gonna to have to go reshell this because the person decided that the price wasn't right. And so they're not gonna get it. So how much time does that take to have that person go and put it back on the shelf? Or how many people do you have to hire to work overnight to make sure everything gets cleaned up? Because people didn't have somebody to talk to, so they just left their stuff in place. You know, it's it's not, but it's it's not just Walmart, it's happening a lot of different places.
0: Yeah, I know there's a supermarket chain in, in the Midwest that is planning to get rid of almost all their cashiers yeah. and, and got go 100% automated. Um, but they still have to have people right because of you know what you, what you pointed out, which is that the, the technology is still not good enough for it to be mistake proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in fact, I had this happen the other day. I was buying bananas and, and checking out somewhere where they had the the, uh, uh, the machine. I put I put the bananas down on the scale the machine read the barcode that was on the bananas and weighed them but the bananas kind of bounced and so it did it three times oh. so so then See, somebody had to come over and take you know two, two um two sets of bananas off my um bill um so that was a delay so it looked faster but it really wasn't the first yeah it was just I mean
1: at least if, not if for they me, look at, If they right? look at the, yeah if they look at the time they spent, you know, the total time and then take away, you know, take all that, all that work they had to put in there to fix it because the process wasn't quite what they expected.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So people still count. Yes, very much so. (laughs) That's that's the bottom line. So Cindy, you've written a knowledge management memory jogger. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. Okay, well, I just happen to have one here. You happen to have one? And so for uh, those of you, maybe hold it up a little. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much yeah. going two, in there. Two it, says, it says the Knowledge Management Memory Jogger comes in two sizes.
1: Yeah, so it comes at, in a at, pocket guide and a five by seven. For people okay. like me who need better things to see. Oh, know? there you go.
0: There, there you go. So why do I need a, a Knowledge Management Memory Jogger?
1: Well... It it talks about, this memory jogger I wrote to support organization and individuals. And this has 10 different departments that you'd see in a business. It has stuff like business development, finance, supply. You know, and it goes through knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer, knowledge creation, knowledge storage, and knowledge findability, And so how all those apply, but it's really to help the organizations be able to get rid of those silos. It's it's meant to encourage people to, to talk to each other, you know, to have somebody talk and tell what they know, and then maybe sit with somebody in supply. So say, you have a person in finance and person in supply. Person in finance understands what supply has spent or Mm -hmm. where their money goes. And maybe you got a new person in supply and they are just ordering parts because they're afraid that they won't get them in time, or they're afraid that they need more than they really do, or You know, for some reason, but they understand the finance person understands the spending habits and the spending, you know, what's actually happened because they've been there longer. So they have that knowledge. And so the supply guy's like, why am I not getting my parts? You know, what's going on? Why can't I get parts? Why are you putting this rule on me that I can't get them? And so the two of them can talk and they can they, you know, they can get a mutual understanding. And then eventually that silo goes away for their two organizations because they know that they can work together. And then you know you can work that also with with the other departments, but the you know so go through that. That's one of the chapters, and there's also a chapter about different people in the knowledge organizations. And you don't have to call your knowledge knowledge managers anything. You don't even have to say that they're knowledge managers because knowledge management really applies to everybody. So there's also short guides in there, but there's also a lot of tips on how to do knowledge management sharing or transfer so training sessions brainstorming um, gamification um, you know you could do uh I, my company does uh these scavenger hunts you know for like ethics really? things yeah so we have to go through our website we have an internal website we go through that and they have prizes and you can have prizes for your organizations and you know they don't have to be a lot of money. Um, you can have lunch and learns where you either have guest speakers or you have somebody in in you know, one department sharing with other departments a success that you had and things that you did and things that maybe you failed on previously and you were able to, to overcome those. You know, those are just little things about knowledge management. And when people ask about having a knowledge manager program, they think money right away.
0: You know, right. And I, I think a really big day and, and a whole bunch of people hired to edit a wiki and that uh, it sounds expensive,
1: right? Right. It, it does. It, it doesn't have to be. You know, you can just get somebody who can be a sponsor and, you know, have interest in it. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to have somebody have, you know, think of knowledge man- management as a collateral. It's not a collateral duty, it's something that's got to happen day in and day out. You know, that you manage knowledge, you don't keep it to yourself because a lot of people keep it to themselves because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will get the job before them, or they'll they'll come off as a smart guy, and the other guy will come off as you know the smarter guy. You know, so it's 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 a lot of people people you know you got you got to get people to understand that knowledge is power, but sharing is powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, which is in a lot of places um, that is a bit countercultural, right? And and yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering too. There's so much mobility right now. Um, and we had the great resignation, and then sort of the great switch around. You were referring to that, that earlier. Everybody, everybody hopping off one place and going to another place. Mm-hmm. So people are coming in. Um, they need the benefit of the knowledge that's already created in the organization they're coming into, and at the same time. I I wonder if some of them are like, well, I've got to show myself to be like the smartest person in the room. So I, you know, if I know something, I, you know, is it safe to collaborate here? Will I be, will I uh, continue to be respected if I share that knowledge if I'm not the one holding on to it? So um, again, I think it. My my thought about it is that it really has to be up to the leaders again to create that culture that says yes. It's important, yeah. and yes, you should
1: be talking to each other. Yeah, and it, it should be part of your organizational culture. So in your organization, you know, they have to accept it, and they have to they have to implement it. You know, they have to show. You know, our our CEO, um, you know, he every week he does a weekly video for us, and you know, because our company is about forty four thousand people, and wow. it's yeah, it's, it's a lot of people they're global. So, you know, he puts out a video and, you know, I, I don't know how, how, you know, his communications team does this, but they, they manage to get everything done. And every week it looks like look, it's professionally done. It's, it's great. It has music. It's, it's nice, but wow, you know, it, shows, it shows us what's happening outside of our little area in Virginia beach. So, you know, it's, it's good to have that. And then we also, um, we also have programs. We have, have our employee readiness groups that are really helpful, and you know, we have different types of people that talk and de- different things we're doing. So, you know, that is that really is great for me because that's kind of like that's kind of thing I like. Um, when I was in the military, knowledge management it, it was part of the culture because you never knew when somebody was going to get sent off to support a different task or get transferred. you you had some sort of idea but but, you know, an officer could be there anywhere between a year and a half to three years, and your enlisted could be there as long as five years. And so if something happens where they get sick, or, you know, if the woman gets pregnant and she has to get transferred off the ship, you know, or if somebody gets sent off to an IA, uh, you know, where they had to go to um, Afghanistan or Iraq, that would mean they, they come off your ship and you don't get a replacement for that. So, you know, you constantly have to be in a mode of sharing sharing knowledge and doing pass downs and writing stuff down so
0: that's 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 really that's really an excellent idea right to to like we all want to i think many many people want to sort of imagine that everything i'm going to be at this place for a long time everybody else is going to be here but um but if you are really committed to the mission of the organization even if you know, you 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 probably should be imagining. Hey, if I was not going to be here, if um, you know, if so and so got promoted, you know, so and so left the company, what would what would we need to know that they know? Because yeah. we all care about the mission of this organization. Um, that would be a great way to think, right? Um, yeah, but, hey, and
1: I- and I wrote a post on LinkedIn about you know my my first my first position at my first company. You know, after I retired. And they had, you know, we worked with other companies there, and one company's had somebody die right there on site.
0: And oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, after everything, you know, after like the first weeks, you know, when people had, you know, started going through the acceptance phase and all that stuff, they started asking, what was he doing? What was he working on? Because he was a software coder, you know. And so that took a while for them to figure out what all he was doing because they're not going to have his passwords. You know, we don't share passwords. You know, that, that right, is something yeah. you shouldn't share, shouldn't share passwords. And so eventually they figured out what he was doing, but, you know, you have to plan. I always tell people what happens if you get hit by a bus. And I do use that all the time because it's so true. You know what happens if you get hit by a bus? You know, I had somebody, um, his son got sick yesterday and so he had to stay home and that took my lab, but, you know, we have people that talk to each other about what they're doing. So they're able to work with that. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's just, you just got to be flexible too.
0: Yeah. could you take us to, you talked about some of the different, the different types of knowledge and one term that caught my ear was, was fungible knowledge. Tell me, tell us about that.
1: Oh, I didn't talk about fungible knowledge.
0: You did What What did you say? I, mean,
1: I said knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer, knowledge uh, um, capture, knowledge yeah. sharing and knowledge findability.
0: Oh, findability well let's yeah. talk about findability because because i think that is a problem yeah well findability it's
1: just like it sounds it's how do you locate it um mm-hmm. some some people have you know if you put it on a share drive how do, do people have access to it first of all you know have you gone to you know have you been on a sharepoint portal where you've gone to access something and it says you don't have permissions and state why you want why you want permissions and you're like, why do I have to ask permission to do my job? And sometimes it's people don't realize that you need access to it. They don't realize that you've been hired or that you know you are doing this and you've been given an extra task. But you know, if you think about the due decimal system and I always tell people librarians are the best knowledge managers because yeah, well, they yeah, are, yeah. because they're always having to find stuff. And there's actually you know some library librarian jobs that are Called knowledge managers or knowledge workers, but you know they're the ones that when we were kids. We went to, and they would tell us exactly where to find the book or the or the cassette tape that we were looking for or the microfiche. You know, it's just about how can you locate what you need when you need it. You know, so because we'll eventually find it if we look hard enough. But you know, if it's not yeah. accessible or if, if if it's not a logical way of thinking for your company. You're not going to find it.
0: Yeah. So and so, this is where I think knowledge management kind of goes beyond. So the what you've been talking about of you know people talking to people, sharing the knowledge, um, you know, doing that the human to human. But it really does take some additional special skills, I think, to to help an organization uh, organize Mm -hmm. these things in the way they should be. But it also takes breaking down silos, right? Because um, you know, if somebody comes into the organization, as 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 you said, and they need access to certain files, certain pieces of information to do their job, somebody has got to be able to keep it, keep track of where that information is. You know, which pieces of it should yeah. be available, and make that knowledge available to the person who's going to be who's going to be setting the the new employee up in the system, so that the new employee doesn't have to go and you know, run into all of those brick walls all, all on their own. And that really is, I think, what where we're we starting to talk about is the professional knowledge managers, um, the, the people who are, who really are, you know, getting more into the information science side of it. Um, and uh which is I think and you know is going to continue to be a, a really interesting and growing career field.
1: Yeah. And and I always tell people well, it's not just about knowing the where the files are. But if you think about the, the TV show, Debbie Carribean Cincinnati, remember uh-huh. Jennifer Marlowe? She she was a hell of everything. She knew everything that was going on through Arthur Carlson. And I apologize for, for your younger listeners who don't know what that show is. But when I was a kid, that was the show to watch at night. Um, but Jennifer Marlowe knew everything. She was uh, you know the secretary of the receptionist, but she knew yeah. everybody who was getting in what trouble, she even knew what her boss's mom was thinking, the owner of the of the radio station. So, you know, everybody wants to be that that Jennifer Marlowe and they need to be. They need to learn how to talk to each other too, in order to, to get past, you know, people who are possessive about, about their their knowledge. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't know that we always value those folks um the way we should, right? Um, right. But the the administrator who does know. Exactly. You know, yeah. How 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 these things work? What how does this system work? And how do you con you know how do you get hold of that person? How do you get on this person's calendar? Th- those kinds of things. Um
1: yeah, and, very and very really the executive people. assistants are the most are the most powerful people, I think.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, they really yeah. are. That's true. That's that that's really true. Yeah, yeah. So in in thinking about uh you know, knowledge management as being a core competency of an organization. Where do you see when when an organization starts to realize that? Where do they usually place the sort of quote unquote knowledge managers? Is it is it IT? Is it somewhere else? Um, I've seen
1: it in IT, but also when I became a knowledge manager um, as one of my jobs at my last company, um, I actually was there supporting a Supporting a government person. And so they assigned me to, you know, a couple groups. And so I had to set up meetings with all the stakeholders in different groups, have them get together and talk about everything that they were doing, because they had a common area. I had five different commands. Um, They were regional maintenance centers. And in each of these commands, they had similar jobs. So what I had to do is I had to invite all these people. So I had to research and find out who's at what place. I had a government sponsor who was the lead, and they would they would trust me enough to that they said yeah go on send out the emails. They never never really, in fact never had the time to look at any of us any of our knowledge managers, and so we had different groups, and we would get them together, and sometimes we'd even we'd even run the call, and that was that was very interesting because then I learned more. And I was able to talk to my boss, my, my government boss, not my, my company boss, but my government boss
0: mm-hmm.
1: and pass on what, what I did. And then she would explain to me, cause I had a couple, but this, I had one woman, she explained everything to me when I say, Oh, well, I don't really understand what this meant. And she'd tell me. And so I learned more where, you know, when she was absent, I could, I could do what I could do as a contractor, but I couldn't task anybody, but I could, basically go through the agenda and I had to write agendas and everything, but that was the only time that I wasn't in, you know, that they weren't talking about KM as far as an IT IT aspect. So you know it was, when you, have it,
0: to- you were you would you were like a sort of an, an ambassador between between your company and and the government client, is that right? So you were well,
1: yeah, I mean, I was a contractor. So I had I had my statement okay. of work, and that's what I supported. Um, I supported two phases of the maintenance modernization cycle. So that was uh, you know, important. And I had other people I had to work with that were in the other phases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a couple different, you know, groups of stakeholders that I had to work with. And so our group, my company's group, we'd always get together every every week and talk about what's going on with our stuff, and we'd include them in all our emails, so that they saw what what traffic was going back and forth between us. Wow. Wow.
0: So, um, the tell us again about the memory jargus. So, is that out now? Is it available for folks it, to buy? It is.
1: It is. If you go to Gold QPC. Uh, they they have all the, the Lean Six Sigma memory joggers, they have project management memory joggers, they have RISC. Um, Hugh Alley is the one that got me introduced to his editor and that's the editor that accepted my work. And so, you know, he's got the, he's, his TWI memory jogger just came out. And, you know, so it's really easy to get. You can buy, buy the seven version you can buy the pocket guide or you can buy the digital version but digital version you can go online and um and mark it up there but it's not something it's not like having a nook or a a kindle
0: okay but. so we'll have the links the links to to get the memory jogger the show notes okay thank uh, you for, for everybody um so um and the Cindy, how can people uh, get in touch with you if they want to talk more about this or learn learn more about knowledge management?
1: Um they can they can email me at CJ Young at CJ Young Consulting.com. Um, because I have my business as opposed to working by full-time job. Yeah. Um and then you can also go to my website and click my email there. I'm on LinkedIn every day and I'm on yes, Instagram. She is.
0: I- I can attest to that. Cindy is on, on LinkedIn every day. Yes, and just
1: I love she's LinkedIn. A... And then oh, I'm yes. I'm occasionally on Instagram and Facebook, and Twitter. Okay. But you know, if you see me, if you see a post on Twitter from me, it's jolly because I click the button on LinkedIn that says LinkedIn and Twitter.
0: Oh, okay, all right. So yeah, but there's lots of ways to get to, to yes. get in touch with you and, and have a further conversation about knowledge management or about anything mm-hmm. else that we've talked about. Hey Sadie, tell me what would be your one piece of information, one piece of advice for a young person starting out.
1: I, I would say get to know people you work with and what they do. Yeah. You know, walk around and talk to them. Introduce yourself and you know, don't sit in your cubicle all the time. You know, mm. but talk to talk to your people you work with because you know eventually you'll wanna you wanna do something different and you'll wanna know what's out there and what's worth doing.
0: So start your knowledge management early and yeah. and uh, connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what great advice. Wow. Thank you. Well, <laughs> Dr. Cindy Young, thank you so much for traveling with me to the Edges of Lean. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. This is Bella Engelbach and I'd like to thank Erin Whalen for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Erin at CompassionateCoaching.org or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at LeanForHumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.